show? Passionate about sustainability, energy, and climate? You're in the right place. Welcome to Energetic. I'm Maureen Cornelis, and together we will engage with people who dedicate their lives to climate justice and making a just energy transition happen. They may be activists, scientists, policymakers, or other enthusiasts, just like you. Let the life stories and insights inspire you to build a better future for people and the planet. This is the head of communications at the Energy Networks Association, representing the vital interest of the gas and electricity networks across the UK and Ireland. His journey in the energy sector is marked by a blend of strategic communication expertise and a deep commitment to diversity and inclusion. Because beyond his corporate roles, Joshua has been a trailblazer in advocating for diversity and inclusion within the energy sector. Recognizing a significant gap in representation and support for LGBTQ plus professionals, he founded Pride in Energy back in 2017. This initiative has been pivotal in creating a forum for LGBTQ plus individuals across the UK's energy industry fostering a sense of community and advocating for inclusive practices. I met Joshua in a cross-industry working group led by the European Commission focusing on diversity in all its form, called the Equality Platform of the Energy Sector. This forum serves as a platform for sharing and promoting best practice in inclusivity and aims to drive change and encourage companies and organizations within the energy industry to embrace a culture of diversity and equality. Joshua And Joshua's work really exemplifies the power of communication and advocacy and the importance of creating spaces where all voices can be heard and valued. His contribution are elevating the conversation around LGBTQ plus right inclusion and also sets a precedent for other industries to follow. Joshua, welcome to Energetic. Great, thank you very much. It was a very kind introduction as well. Thank you so much, Joshua. So, Joshua, given your extensive experience, Why and how have you come to believe that uh, diversity, equity and inclusion sometimes uh, really summed up as D-E-I, only three letters, and are particularly crucial in the energy sector, an industry historically perceived as less diverse? I'll, yes, I'll, I'll come with that from a, a very um, kind of practical point of view. Um, I'll, I'll park my kind of ethical and moral views to one side, actually, controversially in this possibly. There is an absolutely massive skills gap coming for the entire energy industry across the full spectrum, whether it's the world I live in, whether it's, you know, uh, comms and policy and you know, the kind of strategic corporate roles through right to most extreme level um, with kind of engineering, practical skills, on the ground field staff. The generations that are coming into the workforce now, mine and those that come after it, prioritize this in a way that I don't think others have necessarily um, or in the way, possibly not in the same ways others have to the extent that when people move to a new company, whether you have protected characteristics or not, making sure that they are considered by employers um, is a really important factor in people going for, to new businesses. If you want to be a productive employer, you also need to be a progressive one. Then when it comes to just, you know, whether it's, it's, it's the right thing or not, I think there's also just the fact that people work better as well when they are, comfortable and happy in the workplace they will stay at your company for longer if they are comfortable and happy in your workplace and making sure that you have you know progressive policies whether that's for um lgbtq plus people or whether it's for you know 
good maternity leave, which I think is quite a basic one, which some people still, some companies still seem to be missing. And there's a whole spectrum of things there which just need a little bit of time and attention. And they're not particularly resource intensive. They're not particularly costly to the business, but there's a really tangible benefit to the individuals that work there and to the companies themselves. One of our major utilities in the UK a few years ago did some research that suggested that for every pound they invested into women in the workplace, they get three back. So there's just a really, really clear business case for it, Um, aside from it being like objectively the right thing to do. Absolutely. And it's true that uh, actually the women part and uh, let's say a female empowerment and uh, putting women at the forefront in diversity and inclusion is really, let's say, the most visible part, the part that may have been the invisible or had been advocated for most years. So it's it's kind of trailblazing uh, somehow the conversation, but it's only the tip of the iceberg because of course there is like um, a sexual orientation, gender orientation, but uh, also uh, the diversity and inclusion that comes from the variety of race, uh, background, classes, whether you are part of indigenous group, etc. And acknowledging all those uh, concepts and trying to to make them work together is what's called acknowledging and working together with this kind of, of approach is ex- exactly what is is needed now to to make sure that all the workers are happy to come to the office and and the talents are within the industry and um, that makes indeed as you said so much sense to to just make sure that people feel good where they are because you can't live your own personality at the front door. You, in my case, I can never stop being a mother. I'm just, uh, it's it's part of who I am. I am a woman, I am a mother, and those are things that I bring with me when I come to work as well. So it's really, really important to acknowledge that it's not only the brain that counts, but it's also the personality. A hundred percent. But actually, I, I did some research and I saw some kind of a sobering uh, results from one of your uh, survey, uh, your second annual survey back in 2022. It revealed an increase in discrimination based on gender identity or sexual orientation in the energy sector. I mean, it was small, but significant, the increase. You'll tell us more now. But really, what do you think are the underlying causes of this trend? And how should the industry respond? I think to a degree there is an inevitable spillover from a change in uh, kind of nationwide public discourse. A lot of the discrimination, we, we didn't break it down into gender orientation or sexuality, but we do get kind of the anecdotal feedback from our survey respondents. And the majority of the anecdotal feedback on that particular aspect of the survey was that it, it was people's whose gender identity was one that was being discriminated against. That's what most people were witnessing and experiencing. And there was obviously still, you know, the kind of LGB discrimination that we see, but it, it was primarily for the people who are uh, different to what they were assigned at birth. And I th- like I said, I think a lot of that is is down to the kind of broader discourse. And we're seeing an awful lot of content in the press. And there's an awful lot of discussions around this in kind of the the kind of national consciousness really and not all of it is positive in fact i'd say the majority of it is probably quite negative and um, this is i think other countries are going through as well and um, obviously I, I only look at it through a uk lens but what we see isn't necessarily positive there and um, i think what can be done about that I, I think companies just have to take a bit more responsibility for their own staff as is the case at the national level but also business level or community level this is a tiny tiny number of people 
and tiny percentage of the workforce or population or however you want to look at it. And I think just making sure that, that tiny number feel like they're being well looked after, firstly, is not resource intensive to the business. And secondly, as I mentioned earlier, and adds the kind of inclusive atmosphere I think employees increasingly expect from their workplace. That's really sobering because somehow you feel that in 2023, with all the social changes that are at stake, people would be more tolerant and accept more the the diversity of, of, of people and their background. And do you think that it can be caused by a lack of role models somehow? And do you think role models and to what extent can they be interesting or, or relevant? I mean, I, I'm thinking in particular for, for younger generations. Did you grow up with the role models that could somehow show you the way? Um, certainly not in the workplace until very recently. There was no one who wasn't straight, basically, in, in any of the workforce that I could see until very, very recently. And even then, those I see aren't at a particularly high level. Um, my current employer and my previous employer both had, both have and had some, which again is, is good because I'm a very firm believer that uh, you can't be what you can't see. And also, their responses year on year uh, show that people don't see enough representation at senior levels. They're seeing more and more kind of allyship and uh, vocal leadership, which I think is brilliant. I think at a senior level, allyship is one of the most important things you can have from, from senior leaders, whether that's for LGBTQ people or any, any other kind of uh, group. But yeah, I, th I think that's type of visibility. Um, to, to a degree, I think it, it, it may take time depending on which group you're necessarily talking about. You know, the, the, there was some research done by um, another organisation in the UK a little while ago, which they had incredible racial diversity at every level until kind of senior management and after senior management that was when you know when you get into kind of director executive levels it again got very very wide there's, there's a lot of really proactive positive things that they're doing on that and really proactive positive things that other organizations can do on that but there's also an element that people just need to have the kind of time to work through their career and need to be encouraged and supported to do that Absolutely. And do you think that there are some strategies that organizations could share and or some kind of good practice that could really be implemented? And I mean, I'm sure that with Pride and Energy, you have developed some some guidebooks also on, on allyship, etc. But could you first explain what allyship is? And uh, second, how that really could become part of some form of uh, company culture? Yeah, so I, th I think allyship just in, in general, uh, and it's not just for LGBTQ people, it's for any anyone and everyone, um, is if you, you don't necessarily have to have a characteristic, you don't have to be a woman, a person of colour, a queer person, whatever, you don't have to be that that person um, to or have those characteristics rather to support people like that. And supporting people who aren't like you is in of itself allyship. I'm a queer person, but I also consider myself a really strong ally and advocate for other groups as well. Because, again, it's, it's just my kind of perspective on the world. I think there's a really a big belief in kind of solidarity across those groups as well. In terms of what organisations can do, um, the, the date is completely fallen out of my head, but I will send it to you afterwards. We're actually running a, a, an event on allyship um, next month, where one of my community members, who is herself an ally, she, she's not another person, she's going to be running that session for us, and um, including how to be an active ally where she'll be sharing some of her experience and, and some best practice that she's picked up along the way. In terms of best practice kind of across the piece, again, I look at it through a lot through a slightly biased lens as someone who 
runs a employee-led group. But that those kind of conduits and avenues are where I found the most insight. There's one across the UK which was set up about a year ago called TIDE, which is the Task Force for Inclusion and Diversity in Energy, which we sit on, and Powerful Women, which is a really big network for women in the energy industry, sit on all the other women's initiatives are involved as well, as far as I'm aware, as well as many, many others. And that is a case of bringing together all those different groups, all those different individuals who are really strong advocates in space in the UK for them to learn from one another and to kind of deliver tangible change as well. The kind of the, the overarching level for DEI across the sector. Another, another thought I have as well, again, shameless plug for us, we're in the process of setting up our own website, which will have um, kind of key places to go and get learnings and uh, information from for LGBTQ plus people. Um, a lot of the lessons there, they're set up by additional UK organisations, but they're equally applicable to other places as well. So once we've got that going, which should be the next month or two, uh, I'd encourage your listeners to go and go and check that out. I'll be sure to update the show notes to include this information, both about the event and, and about <laughs> the platform. So really this kind of... That'd be wonderful. <laughs> of course. About this uh, really intersectional approach towards addressing discrimination, it's uh, it's the word I, I wanted to say earlier. I mean, it's it's really... What I really find fascinating within the organization you're leading is really that you you don't take... Uh, you won't stop at uh, only the, the gender and sexual identity, but you really want to have people with different backgrounds on board and and I find it uh, really super inspiring because very often it feels that the organization are focusing more on one aspect of diversity and inclusion and and fail to have a, a more integrated uh, looking at the staff looking at the um, practices looking also at the way they treat their let's say customers or or business partners as well whereas what I understand is that you aim for like excellence at all levels. But how do you make sure that this kind of long journey is not so intimidating for somebody who would like to start, who just realized by listening to this podcast today that they have so much more to do? Where would you advise them to start and not be intimidated by the the size of the challenge, really? I, I guess that the first step is to consider why you can add value to whether it's you as an individual or you as an organization. So when I set up Brain Energy, I used to work for an organization called Energy UK, which, much like the Energy Network Association, is one of our kind of two primary energy trade associations in the UK. And they look after the retailers and generators, you know, most of those organizations. And I looked at it and I was like, right, we're a small organization. We're like 40-odd staff, springing me and one, maybe one or two of people in the business who could dedicate any time to this. Money-wise, they're a not-for-profit, can't dedicate huge funds. What they could do is they have over 100 members, they can bring that together. You have the kind of convening power to bring those other businesses and other organisations together, and that adds a huge amount of weight. There's other organisations I know, you know, there's consultancies, for example, who have kind of thrown cash at this, have put on really nice events for us, have hosted great stuff for us. That has been unbelievably valuable. There's other places where they just have, like, facilities that they can share with us. Or people who might just have, you know, they, they themselves might have a strong platform, uh, individually across the sector they might be someone who runs a podcast or has a blog or is just vocal on social media or whatever and in this case of using using that platform or skill set or resource whatever one whatever you have of those three and um, just identify how you can do that because like i can't do everything no one can and um, because no one has or very i think very, very few people have the full suite of 
uh, things I described. But it's, it's working out how you can do that. And then partnering with other people, you can add more to it as well. So um, I look at the kind of committee that we have at Bright Energy. And obviously, my background is entirely in comms, as is one of our other kids members. But then we have um, two people who both uh, do DEI for a living. They're DEI leads for their businesses, uh, both work for major utilities. And then we have a couple of other people who work in much more kind of um, practical parts of the industry and look at it through a very different lens to us. And I think that that kind of creates a really good, from my, again, biased opinion, a very uh, good balance within our group. And that, again, I'd encourage other people to find similar partnerships where that can be achieved. Would you be uh, willing to share one of your success stories, really, of uh, something you achieved with the Pride in Energy, of which you are very proud of? I think just the kind of, the type of media attention that we get each year around the survey. So we, we've done three now, and that's one of the places where it, she, she's left the committee now, but it, it was a previous committee member. It was her original idea, and the, the group really got behind it. And that's something which has attracted a huge amount of attention for us across the kind of trade press within the sector and, and other kind of key, key individuals. And just tracking the progress and identifying the new and emerging issues and concerns of people in the sector, I think creates a really useful evidence base for other people who are trying to deliver change within their businesses. So, you know, this year, for example, one of the main concerns is what we call pinkwashing, which is much like greenwashing. If people who are kind of slapping a rainbow on something and saying, we're really you know proactive in the space when actually they might not necessarily be and i think it kind of showed a, it, it held up a mirror to those organizations and I'd, i'd like to think that will deliver some some positive change for the people within those businesses as well yeah in the huge part it must be also about awareness raising so i was reading that lgbtq plus individuals are more likely to live in poverty uh, to be unhoused Uh, have uh, mental illness, have chronic illnesses, have no health insurance, and uh, they are also uh, way more likely to be incarcerated, at least in the US. And of course, all of this is putting uh, people on higher risk for more negative experience and impact during and after disasters, including the ones who are linked to climate change. So it really makes a lot of sense to have more proactive approach and, and really that disaggregated data that show that there are some populations that are actually at risk. Another thing that I was reading is that there are many, in case of natural disasters, uh, sometimes the organizations that provide help are religious organization that may not be really at the forefront of helping people with diverse gender or sexual identity. So so it puts uh, even more pressure on certain categories of the population. And really, when you start digging into those topics, you you understand the magnitude of, of the challenge and that Action is needed really at all levels, not only like to, to change narratives within the organization, but also to, to make sure that within the movements, within the way business is conducted, those kind of um, challenges are also acknowledged and addressed uh, somehow. But you really need a diversity of perspective to, to bring that to the table. Otherwise, you, you tend to forget them. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. And... How do you see now initiatives like Pride in Energy? How is it influencing policy and uh, really operational practice within energy companies? What kind of changes have you noticed within uh, the company you work with, within different organizations? I mean, you mentioned maternity leave, for instance. That's something I would kind of believe that that 
both parents should, should have long maternity leave. But uh, I would also not be so surprised if certain organizations didn't recognize the long maternity leave to to a couple of gay parents or something like that. So is it something like kind of a practical issue that you, you aim to address? I mean, the, the, there are some very specific uh, kind of practical issues within within our sector, um, which I don't think have necessarily been addressed yet. But I, I think that where I've seen the, the most tangible change um, for DEI more broadly, uh, driven by a group like mine, again, would be powerful women, who I mentioned earlier. Um, they're a real kind of um, high benchmark for groups like mine. And they, they do have a bit more backing and they have like full-time members of staff and that sort of thing um, who are able to do they, they all do a really, really fantastic job that we just lack that kind of resource within Pride Energy. But, I mean, they, they just published their uh, kind of major annual report um, which calls out, you know, the lack of number of women on boards and other kind of like really key um, policies and changes in places across businesses, but also tracks the positive change that is happening there. And... I'd like to think that we're a little bit further behind on the development path from them, but are moving in the same direction. Um, and the types of changes that we're putting in place, like getting our new website and that sort of thing, I'd like to think that that will enact and drive drive further change. Um, in terms of things that we've that I've, that I've seen, I mean, very, very recently we we do a lot of kind of um, informal advisory to a lot of organisations. Companies will reach out to us um, and just ask for a bit of advice and support to bounce ideas off us and that sort of thing. We've had a couple who, what, what was quite funny is that one came and said that they were worried that they weren't doing enough and listed everything that they were doing. And I said, you're one of the most proactive companies I've come across in seven years of running this. So uh, whilst don't rest on your laurels, keep doing what you're doing because it's really, really good. And then others who came and said, look, we really want to do more in the space. Like, where can we start? And they were setting up a, a kind of pride group within their business. And I was like, well, listen to what that pride group says. Like, give them the resourcing and backing and support to, to go out to your workforce and to the queer people in your workforce and find out what issues they might be facing. Because obviously, every, there's, there's, I can speak to things that are across the entire sector, but there are obviously things that are specific to individual businesses. And just listen to them, support them and listen to them and then enact changes that they recommend or at least consider enacting those changes. So yeah, I do, I do see kind of more of that happening. That's quite, whilst time consuming, it's very um, reassuring and I think quite positive for us. Yeah, it's as if some businesses, not all of them, but uh, many are starting to see that they, they are also platforms where people must feel safe and somehow happy or satisfied in order just to, to be able to express themselves and express their creativity uh, in a way that will benefit the company and the business to thrive. So it's, um, it's this kind of, of platform where, I mean, I think it's, it's kind of revolutionary somehow uh, that business start to see themselves also as the potential change makers or really baseline for change and, and really create environment where people feel safe enough to just to just to be. So what would be your primary goals uh, for Pride and Energy in, in the years to come? And uh, how do you plan on uh, addressing these evolving challenges? I mean, I was before we started this conversation, I told you uh, that uh, I have just been a jury member for an initiative on uh, diversity and inclusion in the solar energy sector. And that was really, really interesting. And I've seen many interesting initiatives. So organizations have... Uh, 
uh, applied to a solar power price on diversity and inclusion. And the initiatives that have been uh, recognized as the trailblazers are one by Dress Group EU, which is more about uh, the place of women and uh, people who identified as female. Uh, another one is about including Bedouin women. It's an is initiative in, in, in Israel on training and really upskilling uh, some indigenous communities. And another one is uh, with the Solitech and is it's in the Belgian country and it's more about people with a physical disability and how to include them. But I was also surprised not to see initiatives that are actually showing the, or maybe they are a little bit timid, but organizations that are going in the sense of, of what you do with the pride and energy, with the advocating for a better inclusion and um, of people, LGBTQI plus uh, people. So there is definitely some room for for, for dialogue really in, in this sense. So where would you be your, your next goal? I would really love to see you apply for this uh, uh, diversity and inclusion award next yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I'm happy to apply, but um, I, I think this. I mean, if, if those are some of the candidates that we're up against, I think some of those are pretty, um, pretty punchy and powerful programs. In terms of what I'd like to see us do next, I, I think there's a, a, like I said a moment ago, the, the type of trajectory that I've seen powerful women go, well, I'd like to see the same with us. And um, we're looking at bringing in some kind of more uh, formal partners. Um, we should hopefully be able to resources uh, a bit more to kind of to, to do more proactive work. I like to see the trajectory of our survey going in, in a really positive way. So some of the key stats that we get every year, but, you know, that like you said earlier, the, the the amount of people who've experienced or witnessed discrimination, I'd like to see that go down. I think that'd be that'd be a really clear, tangible win for us. Um, see more companies endorsing pride programs themselves, setting them up, and um, supporting our initiatives. And um, there's some interesting ideas of how which I'll keep slightly secret for now, which we're looking at doing for, for uh, Pride Month next year, and kind of getting companies to very visibly endorse uh, LGBTQ plus people uh, within their businesses. And I'm trying to think what else really, I think the, like, like I said, we're, we're looking at setting up our own kind of formal website and kind of formalizing a lot of our purposes and stuff. And I, I'd like to see a lot of people taking the support that, we, that will be provided to our resource library and, again, using it to enact change within their organisations. But, you know, the, the short answer is continue along the trajectory that we're on because I think that the one that we're on as a group and that the, the wider sector is on is largely positive. It's, it's, it, as is always the case, it's a slightly bumpy road. There's always going to be issues that arise and new challenges that come up as well. But um, what I've seen over the past few years has been very positive so far. Yeah. And I mean, I find it so inspiring that this kind of initiative is happening in the energy sector. As we said earlier, it's a kind of, uh, it's perceived to be less diverse, a little bit more say, conservative somehow with the same kind of people and same kind of profile applying for it. So the fact that this change is happening also um, from the bottom up is really, really, really um, like interesting and also it's kind of showing the way that uh, it's possible to do something that is not business as usual that it's it's really possible to reinvent them, them uh, the sector i mean it's facing a transition from fossil fuels to to clean fuels so in the mindset it's also important to really like embrace uh, the diversity of the of the the workforce to because it's it's like maybe the 
only opportunity this sector will have to, to reinvent itself somehow and, uh, and acknowledge better the, um, the needs of the workers and also the needs of the population it serves. Yeah, to kind of go back to the point I made right at the beginning of our, of our conversation today, I always say that there's, in, in the UK, we talk about the three Ds and it's decentralization, decarbonization, and digitalization. Those are the three major things that happen within the sector now. I was in this fourth one, that's diversification, because the, the workforce itself is under a huge, huge transformation and has been for decades. And you're just not going to get the people to do the work that you need. And what I'd also say is that particularly with the sector, companies either already are very progressive in how they're delivering the decarbonisation agenda. And you've got companies uh, with uh, like major European uh, utilities or or kind of smaller companies within the UK or within other, other countries across Europe, which are delivering really, really positive change uh, for the climate and the planet and, and for like their local communities and businesses and all that sort of stuff. But again, like it's, it's, it's a really important box for staff to, to, to look at. I, I was at an event um, last week, spoke on another panel, and then I kind of quite flippantly referred to it as companies need to kind of pass the vibe check. But it's it's not necessarily something that someone would decide upon a new job entirely, but it's a really important factor within the kind of landscape of any prospective employees. And we're going to have to fight for every single one of those prospective employees because I look at the UK, for example, a lot of people that we need to have a STEM background. If you've got a STEM background, finance pays better than a lot, a lot of the jobs that you get in the energy sector. So how are you going to make your organisation look more attractive? And I think this is a really, really key tool to do so. If you're looking at it again, like I say earlier, from a very kind of mercenary and um, practical sense, again, parking the like, whether it's morally right, which again, I very firmly believe it is. Yeah, and it's not only about uh, like how you learn the job, but also the the kind of study you you engage in. And uh, and for instance, for women, there is still an enormous gap to just uh, start uh, technical studies and just uh, feel that you are at the right place. So um, there is this kind of uh, cultural shift that also needs to happen, and I feel it. It happens only when there are some organizations like yours that are kind of paving the way, showing that a different way of doing things is is possible, uh, that are displaying role models, that are pushing for approaches to be and really practices to be way more respectful of the individual and all their nuances and, and really embrace the diversity and embrace the complexity of the human being, right? And instead of, of trying to make sure they fit into into boxes and are just uh, accomplishing things that anybody else could do, really. It's, uh, as you said, there is so much uh, competition within the sector and younger generation are aspiring for so much more fulfillment within their, their career somehow. Yeah. I, I've been recently... Um, really digging into into this topic and that's why I, I really wanted to host this this podcast with you and I feel that uh, companies are as I said earlier at a unique position to build some form of trust but this has to come through like um, uh, connections connecting people uh, to make sure that they feel that they can connect and and through those connections they also become more creative and this is what you call the 4D of the energy sector 
you, you call it diversification, I call it democratization, but that's really about embracing bottom-up approach, the, the more human approach rather than uh, than something that is called and more administrative. <laughs> or, I mean, we need administrations, of course, but uh, but uh, that can be a little bit too too formal, really, and have something a little bit more spontaneous somehow. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're dead right on the, the, the human side and, and translating that into the kind of corporate side. And again, to kind of take a learning from another country, um, I've done quite a lot of work with um, Ally Energy, which is a really, really fantastic program that's come out of the US. They're now branching out into other countries. So I think they're, they're doing some bits in the UK and Europe. Um, it's run by a lady called Katie Maynard, who is an absolute powerhouse when it comes to DEI and has been for many years. And they've... I think they've done some really, really fantastic work. I've, I've seen her speak and been on panels with her and that sort of stuff, who, and they have really helped companies and organizations navigate between, and um, like you say, the kind of human elements of this and how to translate that into the kind of bureaucracy and corporate setting and how to kind of deliver that change within that um, in, in, in a very kind of practical context, I think. Absolutely. So Joshua, as we arrive at the end of uh, the recording of this podcast, can you tell us about something that really, really empowers you on a daily basis that you would like to really listen is to, to take uh, home with and, uh, and just, yeah, feel? One thing that always makes me smile when it comes to DEI elements of my kind of life there's a team at National Grid, who are one of our uh, utilities, who I'd say they're kind of real gold standard when it comes to DEI. And they have a team, uh, well, they, they do a thing every Thursday and they call it Happy Thursday And they post a different story and it doesn't have to be anything big or anything, you know, it doesn't have to be some like huge seismic change that they're delivering, but it's, 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 sometimes it is, to be clear. But um, sometimes it's also just like, a nice story or a good anecdote or just something really positive. And I think that's one of the things that always kind of kind of make whenever I see that, it puts a smile on my face because again, like I say, they're always very positive uh, or they're not very positive. And I think it kind of makes you realize that like whilst you might be finding X, Y, or Z frustrating, there's always the kind of end result there. So I think that's always quite nice when it comes to this part of this part of my job. <laughs> well, we had a conversation uh, recently in the podcast, really on how to communicate the climate change and the energy transition, and we both agreed that we need positive stories. We need to have like a positive outlook uh, because we we need that really to foster the desire to go. It's coming in Italian in my head, like andare più avanti. So it would be really go in the in the right direction and really motivate people to to keep on doing what they what they do. Thank you so much, Joshua. It's been such an informative conversation. I will make sure that to put all the resources that you mentioned in the show notes. And so we need to uh, keep at looking on the website of uh, Pride uh, in Energy and contact and follow your social media to be able to follow the event you organize in December, right? Yeah, yeah, please do. So if you, we're, we're on LinkedIn and you know, Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it, and you just search Prime Energy, we'll, we'll, we'll come up Perfect. on both of those. So that's what we put everything out on there. And thank you, thank you so much for having me on there. It's, it's been a great chat. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Energetic. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into sustainability and the just energy transition with the most inspiring stakeholders. All links and resources are in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like this podcast, why not recommend it to a friend or a colleague? 
To continue the conversation, head on over to Twitter or LinkedIn. Thank you for lending your ears. That's all for this episode. Until next time.